0: Welcome to Jr. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Uh, Today we are talking with Phil Palmieri about Node.js. So Phil is a Node developer, works for Oddball.io, working on government contracts. So he's going to talk about what he looks for when he's looking to hire a Node engineer, and some of the stuff that you should study up on if you're looking for that role. Uh, If you want to support the show, please go to our site at techjr.dev and click subscribe. Tweet us at techjrpodcasts, leave a review on iTunes, tell all your friends, and we appreciate that. Anything you can do to spread the word uh, helps a lot. Okay, that's all I've got. On with the show. Welcome to Tech Junior. My name is Lee Warwick Jr. I'm a full-stack JavaScript developer. I have with me, as always, Eddie. Hey,
1: it's Eddie. I'm a front-end
0: guy. (laughs) We've got uh, (laughs) a special guest. We've got Phil Palmieri. Hopefully I said that right. Uh, Phil, if you could introduce yourself.
2: Sure. Uh, Phil Palmieri. Um, I've been a developer for about 20 years or so. Um, I'm a full-time Node developer now. um, And I've been messing around with React a lot, doing front-ends. long history of PHP work but I, I jumped over to JavaScript about 4 years ago and not going back. So
0: <laughs> Fantastic. So uh you said that you are primarily working with Node, correct? Yeah. So um what types of things are you doing with Node and kind of like what is the uh, what are you doing day to day with that?
2: Yeah, so um I work for a company called Oddball and we we work on government systems. So I'm actually on the I'm on the healthcare.gov and medicare.gov sites. And I I'm on the team that handles the authentication layer. Um, so all that's a node or 99% of it's a node. And uh, yeah, that's what we do. So
0: awesome. So cool. the, I have to hammer this like right away. I remember when that website launched, there was like a big snafu. <laughs> so I'm assuming that when that happened, they were like, we, we got to hire professionals now. And then they came to you, right? <laughs>
2: yeah not to me yeah i'd like to take credit for it uh I'll, I'll actually provide you with a link to the some of the, the history of that the the company that we work with uh ad hoc they were hired to basically rescue healthcare.gov and you know create do, do it better with with good processes good systems and everything else and so our our company oddball is tied into them we work with them closely and we work on the systems with it so the, the whole government's gone through a a, a really big shift um, trying to modernize not only the code, but the development practices and all too.
0: So, wow. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. So literally, they, you guys kind of got brought on to save the day. Right? <laughs>
2: yeah. I yeah, would have carefully. It wasn't, a, there was, it was actually a, a couple of guys on the ad hoc side, and the, I'll have to look up their names again. Um, they <laughs> did that. And because they did so well with it, that's how their company grew. And that's how kind of there's a, a, a culture around that company now that's growing with it
0: cool so uh you said that you've been a, a developer for a long time um node obviously hasn't been around that long so uh w- what did you do before uh kind of getting into the javascript stack and i guess what possessed you to get into it
2: so i i mean way back in the day i used to build build bulletin board systems back in the late 80s and all and uh going in uh i started with php in the late 90s uh building like a mail server and some other things building just like commerce sites and things like that. Um, But with that, it kind of had, by default, you have to be full stack because there wasn't these niche career paths at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So I got into PHP because it was the easiest one. It was the most forgiving. You could kind of hack on anything and it just worked. Um, And without, you know, we built a front end and then uh, probably about 15 years ago or so, uh, we were building some cool like ERP software um, where we built AJAX front ends and we were using YUI and using... Uh, some other systems and so that was kind of my first foray into like building interactive front ends and that's how, to, my, how I kind of got into JavaScript and getting to jQuery and MooTools and all those things back then and um, I just really disliked the design portion of it. Uh, I like doing the <laughs> UX but I, I don't hire me to design anything so <laughs> um, but with that so that I kind of as the, the industry grew I started really taking a liking into API development and microservices and kind of focusing in on having a really stable backend. Um, And I got away from the front end for a while. And I'm just recently, a handful of years ago, started getting back into doing Angular and React and getting into some native apps with uh, React Native and Native Script and all.
0: Cool. cool. So we wanted to have you on the show because uh, we saw you in our local community Slack channel um, advertising for your company, Oddball, was hiring Node developers. And so Eddie and I are uh, students of the local coding boot camp. Um, And they taught us a full JavaScript stack. So they taught us uh, Mongo, Express, uh, React, Node, all that stuff, plus like a heaping helping of jQuery, which was really beneficial. And, (laughs) um, And so, you know, a lot of us have gone out into the workforce and kind of looked for Node jobs. And lo and behold, most of everything is like PHP jobs. So. Uh, that being said, like, we'd really love to to get into, like, what skills are you actually looking for in a Node engineer? Um, but before we get into that, maybe you could tell, you know, anybody that's not familiar out there, what exactly is Node.js?
2: Sure. So Node is the, the runtime to run JavaScript on the server side, um, you know, with the, you're going to quiz me on specifics, but. Uh, so like the V8, you've got the V8 engine. <laughs> and um, So it basically it allows you to write JavaScript code and it gets compiled into it in the runtime in V8 and runs on the server, uh, which is kind of cool because then you can use the same, some of the same NPM packages. You can use some of your same code front end, back end. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's just a back end compiler for JavaScript.
0: So, yeah. Yeah. And as I understand it, it's, uh, it's really, really fast. Right. So uh, using the V8 engine, it runs on like C++ or something like that.
2: Yeah, I I actually wasn't I wasn't fully aware of that until recently. Uh, It's yeah, it's written in C++ and then compiled down. So Um, it's it is really fast. It's really fast for concurrency and for, you know, single You're going to get hate mail with the, you know, the threading, but um, <laughs> the, single, the, you know, being single thread where, you know, do one thing, do it well and do lots of replications of it, especially if you put it behind like an Nginx proxy or something where it can handle that. Um, yeah. If, if you're going to be crunching millions of records of data, it's, it can do it, but it's not the right tool for the right job kind of thing. So, but for APIs, for auth layers, for, you know, lambda's where you are you're, you're passing off something from a queue server it it's it runs really quickly and it's really easy to get into
0: right so we um we have a website at work that's running on Nuxt and so that's like a view uh next js kind of implementation where we've got a node server that's basically doing a little bit of server rendering and then the app turns into a front end app but uh long story short we had a um a memory leak And so we were, like, debugging Node, and then that led into, like, some security questions of, oh, well, what if we get, uh, like, this slow header request um, attack on the site? And so we basically got, like, some tooling up, and we're like, why don't we just hammer the staging site and see, like, how many requests Node can take and if it even matters? And because of the things you mentioned, like the concurrency that's built into it, uh, we could hit the site with, like, tens of thousands of requests a minute and it wouldn't even, like, the the usage and the memory and CPU and whatnot would, like, barely bump because it was just so efficient at all of those asynchronous requests coming in. So, um, like you said before, uh, Node.js is really, really good for handling a lot of requests, whereas something like PHP, maybe not so much because of the architecture behind it, right?
2: Yeah, I, I want to be careful that, you know, php can handle a lot of traffic too i mean facebook and all that so it 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 just it can handle it with a fraction the the cost of the hardware and you know the tooling so it yeah that's that's pretty much it and like if you have like a mobile app or something running where you've got this this is kind of where I, I really started getting into node seriously is i worked for another company and we started building mobile apps for employees and you know they were hitting i think they were hitting a wordpress site or something like that which not even on there, but, uh, <laughs> you know, as a typical, you've got like an Apache 2 server with something on there. You know, it can hit, you know, it can, it can handle a couple thousand requests. But if you've got apps running on your phone doing polling or a thing, and all of a sudden you've got 50,000 people hitting in a second, it bottlenecks. So we wrote uh, an, a node proxy layer, basically, um, that distributed that traffic. And then we did a little Redis caching. And so having, you know, node. You hit a hundred thousand requests and it just doesn't care. It just keeps chugging on. So,
0: yeah. So, uh, Node is just like really, really good for handling tons of traffic. Yeah. Which, which is, I imagine, like why uh, you all at Oddball have chosen that as, uh, like, for the healthcare.gov site, which probably gets a ton of traffic, right?
2: It, it does. Um, I mean, then there's different technology stacks being used, but yeah, I, th- I think. Um, I think last year they said we hit like two and a half billion requests over the course oh, of wow. enrollment. Um, yeah. It's not like still not, you know, Netflix level, which uses node. Um, but it is, it, it's up there and it, 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 it's a combination of it's fast. It's cheap. The hardware is cheaper. Uh, so,
0: so yeah, I mean, kind of, we're, we're dancing around the point, but node is like a mature, great technology for enterprise basically uh, for, for the, things that we've discussed, right? So lots of traffic, um handling lots and lots of requests, that sort of thing.
2: Yeah, definitely. It, it's um yeah, and I think it's become more and more acceptable in bigger companies. I know there was a lot of a big stigma about it because it's javascript and um uh, you know, I remember talking to some, you know, the pink shirt guys, you know, the, <laughs>
1: the
2: old, where it's like, "Oh, if it doesn't run on Azure or doesn't run on uh, you know, Microsoft server, it can't run." But it's it's come so far since then. And so
0: Cool. So, um, going back to, uh, to hiring a node engineer. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you mentioned, uh, some, some technology in there, um, talk about queues and Redis and that sort of stuff. And so Eddie and I, uh, like I said, we went to a coding bootcamp. We've got some node experience, like we know how to create basically an MVC monolith with node. So we can create like an express API. We can attach a database and we can do like the typical, you know, big application that kind of does everything. So as I understand it, like a lot of node jobs are dealing with microservices and they're handling like tons and tons of requests. So whenever you're looking for a node engineer, what kind of experience and technologies are you looking for?
2: Okay. So there's a a couple answers to that. So the what you said originally was is actually a perfect scenario where you've got the traditional monolithic MVC app or something, which is you can you can swap out Node for PHP, for Ruby, for what It's all kind of the same idea. Um, mm-hmm. Where I've seen Node, especially us too, is that when somebody selects to use Node, it's because they want it for something different because that type of setup isn't really working or they need more from it. Um, so we're looking for things like, you know, knowing how to do a Microsoft, you know, knowing how to split that out, how to use middlewares properly for authentication, um, you know, how to, lots of error handling. Um, you know, if you can know how to use lambdas, which we'll get into AWS later, but you know, something like a lambda or uh where you're basically just doing small bits of logic really quickly, that's that's kind of where it's its forte is. Um so yeah, and, and things like even now with puppets here coming out for testing, um with uh with Chrome, that's another thing that's it's got that is better than some of the alternatives. Um but yeah, what we're looking for when we're higher or what you know most people are for, you know, if you've got a really solid testing foundation, where you understand testing. Um, you understand how to separate those layers and how to deal with, uh, you know, we call it like stateless code where you, you know, whether it be dockerized or whether it be, you know, deployed onto multiple instances where your code is not this living, breathing monolith anymore. It's just an application that, you know, has one in, one out kind of thing. And then being able to handle scale, you know, I, I you know, doing like something things like the big, like big O type you know understanding what that is you don't have to be an expert at it, but like just be aware of that hey if i've got a thousand records i'm parsing and i need to hit you know do a thousand things on those thousand things and all of a sudden you go from you know 100k memory to now you're at 100 megs and then you know it, it cascades larger as you go so just being aware of those kinds of things as opposed to just being able to render a page
0: okay so um you mentioned uh stateless um architecture i guess so MVC, big monolith application, uh maybe internally it's holding on to some stuff in memory. And whenever you're dealing with microservices, like you don't necessarily have that option anymore, right? So you're looking for maybe something closer to you hit an endpoint and you get some basic information in, you do a little bit of processing, and then you spit out a result and then things spool down, right? So all the memory is lost.
2: Right. And you don't want to have to like rely on like any kind of uh, this is pretty old school, but you know, relying on like file file system based sessions and that kind of thing, or um, having to rely on anything because the file system could disappear if the, if the, the the group auto scales up, you're going to lose that. So you can't have a database on the same instance. You have to use a you know either a dedicated database instance or the you know, like Aurora or one of those on AWS. So just being aware of how these systems all kind of talk to each other and are not just living on one box. And, you know, if that box goes down or you have to be able to, you know, handle configuration files where they're spooled up, where if you want to deploy 10 copies of that application, it has to work the same as if it had one or if you delete eight of those 10 kind of thing.
0: Right. So that's um, definitely like it seems that being a node engineer, you're kind of working very, very closely with the DevOps folks.
2: Yeah, um, and again, that's not that's not a hard and fast rule or anything, but, uh, you know, from the hiring perspective, too, when we're looking for somebody who wants to be that's already aware of those things, you, you know, you're not looking for an expert on DevOps, otherwise be hiring a DevOps person, but, right. you, you know, they don't need to, you know, you don't want to have to hold their hand every time you need to do a deploy or if you need to jump into a container and look at logs or, you know, know how a scale group works, know how, you know, load balancing works, that kind of thing.
0: Okay. How did, um, how did you start getting into that sort of thing? I imagine like as a PHP engineer um, getting into, because, you know, maybe 10 years ago, we wouldn't be having this discussion, right? Because the whole Kubernetes, Docker, all that craziness, madness didn't really exist back then, right? So how did you kind of ramp yourself up into all of this knowledge working with AWS and different containers and orchestrating them and, and all of that madness?
2: Um, a little bit of trial and error. Uh, you know, back because like you said, back in the day, it you know, I would maintain our servers. Like we, we I think we were using Rackspace at the time, so they were like in charge of the hardware. We had actual steel, you know, metal boxes, but um, you know, have to get in, have to set up the Linux environment, have to install Apache and everything and configure your MySQL, and then all of a sudden you realize you're out of memory, so you have to jump into the My Config file and start messing with stuff. So that was a lot of just trial and error and I'm glad we don't really have to mess with that stuff anymore, but it's a really good foundation to learn, just like anything else. Yeah, you know, yeah, you use a calculator, but you still have to know how to do the math kind of thing. Um and don't really, if I'm deploying something today, it's gonna be up on Firebase or Heroku or something. I don't wanna mess with it, but knowing how all that stuff works, especially with Docker 2, um, it just helps tremendously as opposed to just having a black box you push code to and you know, if something goes <laughs> wrong, you just hope it works,
0: <laughs> you know. So I guess way back when, in like the PHP heyday, um, the typical thing was like, okay, we have a business, we have a website, and people, you know, maybe not, don't really think about it, but that website is living on a server that's running on a physical machine. And back then, sometimes that physical machine was like a tower yeah. under your boss's desk or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, <laughs> been there. One, one of the
2: first real companies I worked for. This is. I think I was just out of high school. Um, we actually had a T1 line or T3 line ran to the building because we were had uh, the guys working. With, we had probably like 12 or so free BSD boxes running our web servers and mail servers, and they were literally in the office with us. And <laughs> yeah, we've come a long way from there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I uh, I worked for a um, a small business and uh, we had like a software system in the office where we used for like record keeping. And I was like, you know, I'd use it and then it would throw errors. And like, as I learned development, I was like, this is like some crappy Java system and it's complaining about like, like table queries and stuff. And I'm like, okay, it's running on some kind of SQL database and they've done like a poor job of it. And then lo and behold, like I go into a server closet one day. Like behind somebody's desk, and it's like a physical <laughs> Dell tower there that's powering all of our charting and like an Optiplex, records.
2: an Optiplex professional off like an actual desktop turned into a server.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like literally a like wow. like a home desktop PC that's running the system that's running the MySQL database server that everything's connecting to. So um, that stuff is like still out there, uh, yeah. even though you know we're we're laughing about like AWS and you know Skynet and all that stuff. But uh, it's it's kind of funny to think about how far mm. things have come in just a few short years.
2: Yeah, and that's actually a good segue to the MySQL thing, too. Um, that's one of the other skills you need to know. I mean, you don't have to be, again, you have to be an expert, but know how MySQL works, know how queries work, know how to use Postgres and know your way around a database and what things are and, you know, what the data types are, what, you know. If your query is running slow, it's maybe you don't have an index and just be aware of those things. And, and and I know it sounds a lot of like, oh, you have to know a million things, but it you kind of do to an extent um, unless you're just doing just front end or something like that. So,
0: so one of the, the best um, maybe encapsulating interview questions that I've heard in that direction is, uh, okay, you're an engineer, you're applying to uh, our company and you're going to be working on our backend system. How do you debug or troubleshoot a slow endpoint in the API. And so that gets you thinking about like oh my gosh what's it connected to and you know do i have enough resources on the server or do i have like some monstrous SQL query that's doing all kinds of crazy things that are locking up tables or you know like what's what's really happening and kind of the goal of that question is <clears throat> to kind of explore what your breadth of knowledge is with you know those back end systems and how they integrate with each other.
2: Yeah, uh for sure. And and actually that's a really good point because it really when you're hiring an engineer, uh, you're hiring somebody to solve problems and to keep the house from burning down. So, you know, it's not so much it's not so much how many algorithms can you write, it's not, you know, are you an expert at ES6? Or really. it's it's can you solve problems and can you save or make the company money? And you know, that's kind of what it comes down to the other day. So, you know, being aware of, you know, do you use Logstash, do you use Kibana, do you use Splunk, do you use what these are and Knowing that oh the slow the queries slow are slow query logging turned on can I go look at the slow queries can I inspect the query you know do a do a uh, explain on the query and being able to know those things and know know what questions to ask yourself as and where to look for the answers that it's it's invaluable so and and again cool. you can learn that stuff as
0: you go too it's not like you have to know everything or day one but fair enough. Uh, I have to ask what all those things are that you mentioned. Yeah, so my head.
2: So, Logstash, uh, Splunk, um, New Relic—all these are basically logging plat off off plat off system logging platforms. So, you know, a request comes in, and instead of just going to like a dot log file, it actually goes off to a third party, you know, service. Okay, um, and it just goes raw data based on what you set up. Something like Kibana, Kibana I, can't, I can never say that word, Kibana or, you know, some of the other ones, you can you visualize that data. So you could actually go into like a Kibana dashboard or um, uh, like Splunk and you can say, hey, what's show me everything that's taking longer than 30 seconds on host one or any traffic coming from this IP. And you can kind of real time filter down with a really fast back end on it. Uh, OK. So it's, it's cool. yeah, we, we we live in that, like if that tab is open all the time because we're inspecting things or seeing what's going on, or if there was an incident or, you know, something happened, we immediately go there and say, this is the environment, what happened in this time range and what's going on.
0: Okay, cool. So, um, it sounds like, yeah, a lot of, uh, maybe the best thing to do would be to build like some microservice type applications in node and then try and get them up and running on AWS and maybe some of the services that they offer.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I've, actually something that I've told somebody before is that, you know, the, if you're just starting out, you kind of, you get the, the whole, you know, um, uh, you know, analysis paralysis of like, what, I don't know what to build because I don't have anything to actually build, no. you know, try and replicate something, try and look at something you use, grow, grab some packages and replicate those. Um, you know, I, I just built that pet program, um, out of a need but it's also just build it, it it's going to be crap you're going to throw the code away but it doesn't matter go through the process build something get a ci cd pipeline going with a free one deploy it to aws deploy it to fire whatever one you pick um and then start logging it like, you know put a log in, go find there's a lot of these services that have free tiers where you, you get a hundred builds a month or you know a million records a month and there's tons of free ones um and just start piecing all that together and make the whole system work even though it, you know, you've got you and your sister, or the ones using it, but um, but still go through that and go through the process of doing all those things just so you get exposure to it so you can answer those questions or so you're aware of those things and you kind of learn what you don't know as you go.
0: Okay, cool. So um, we kind of jumped around a little bit, but maybe going back to the database question a little bit. Yeah. Um, you mentioned SQL databases. Uh, there's also, you know, this whole NoSQL database movement. Um do you have any preference for one or the other
2: yeah it's as cliche as it is it's it's whatever's best for the job um I found that pretty much every company i've ever worked with that isn't you know a startup or some of like that you have got to have uh you shouldn't say yeah, they all have some kind of SqL backend whether it be Microsoft or Postgres or mysql um because they they just it's it segregates the data better it's a lot i find it's faster to do you know reporting analytics those kinds of things on having some kind of tangible database as opposed to um a document store where you know things change the, the data structure is kind of malleable it's based on what you know whatever if you throw an extra property in your in your in your object you're storing it's there and all of a sudden you know It's also faster to do those. So I kind of in a perfect scenario, you do a hybrid or, you know, you you might use like Redis for caching um, or you're going to use like I'm one of the apps I'm working on. I'm using Firebase for the app, but then I'm spitting stuff off to a SQL database just for like cold storage kind of thing. Um, Or you can store it off to, you know, some other logging system.
0: Wow. So uh, like many layers to the ending, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. To, to use a terrible analogy. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, the the general wisdom that I've kind of heard is like SQL is battle-tested and like super enterprise-ready. It's very fast. Um, also, it has that uh, aspect of it where you kind of have to set up everything before you start using it, um, unless you get into like migrations and that kind of craziness. But uh, you kind of have to know the layout of all your tables and structure and that sort of thing. And then the other side of that is like, you mentioned it's kind of forcing you to use your data in a certain way, whereas NoSQL just doesn't care. Like you can throw in a property or add an extra key or value or whatever, and it kind of it just keeps on going unless you have some kind of ORM in front of it. Right, right.
2: But right. if you're doing an ORM, probably. I mean, again, I'm going to get hate You're probably not in that mindset of doing a, a document store. But e- even with the MySQL or, or any of them, you know, I, I personally I feel if you're building an application, um, this is going to veer off in a direction in a minute but you know thinking about your data um thinking about your interfaces you know so you know build a swagger doc first build a or an open api doc build your data to model what your storage needs are not necessarily what the application is and you know but you could still do you know certain things you need to make for speeding up things but yeah you have to think about because like yeah you can run migrations but how fault tolerant are they you know you know there's a data set they're aware of where, yeah, yeah, so let's just run a migration. But that migration takes four hours because you have too much data. So all of a sudden now your Appdex score and your your site is unresponsive for a while and slow because all the tables are locked up. So there's tradeoffs for everything. But, yeah, I, I like to think it through and, you know, put it out on paper, you know, before you put any code down kind of thing. So
0: can you uh, explain swagger to the good folks out there that have maybe never gotten into that?
2: Yeah, it's so it's the open API spec or doc i forget what the the right terminology is um but swagger is the the doc so think of um i don't know if there's like a dictionary definition but uh it's basically a a document that describes your api um so it can be you know here's my endpoints here's what they take here's what the output expects um with the open api spec um then you i'm sorry the open api spec is how it's formatted the swagger is the method. So you could put like variables for all your errors and you could, you know, you don't have to repeat yourself using some of like the open API tools. You can like set up a mock API from that. And so you could, if you're building a front end, you could just hit a fake API based on your swagger doc. You can also then use that swagger doc for testing where you can, you know, do end to end testing on your app and make sure it matches the swagger response and that kind of thing. So, so
0: swagger is kind of a tool for, Modeling out what the database will look like, but then also generates your documentation for you. Uh,
2: not not the database, the API. So oh, okay, it's yeah. it, it, it's 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 a it's think of like a a um, what's the the data modeling tool? Um, can't think. But it is basically just a blueprint for your API and a rule set for your API, and you know, similar to how a I'm having a total blank with the the database schemas are. But it's same kind of thing. You just do all your decisions on paper, um, and then you can distribute that to people who use your API. And then they, you know you version it so there's just some kind of visual, as opposed to just hitting an API and say, oh, I'm looking for users. Is there an addresses endpoint? I don't know. Let me just guess. <laughs> so,
0: would you suggest that people that are going out and building like their own REST API? um maybe include like swagger docs with it or something like if you saw that come in on a resume or a portfolio or something like hey i built this api here's the swagger documentation for it would you think that that's great or kind of like oh yeah
2: yeah that would that would be a total uh check of the plus category if if they had an exact other person with the same resume and they had that that would totally get them the job Cool. just being aware being aware how important it is and that it's a standard and following standards so but yeah, even awesome. for my personal, my personal APIs, I do it, too, because it's just a way on paper or on the app to just think about what you're doing before you do it, as opposed to just kind of shooting from the
0: hip. Cool. Is there like a is there like a free tooling website that you can use for that?
2: Yeah, um, I, I'll give you links for that after the show. But it's uh, if you search for just Swagger, uh, Swagger Hub is the host. And then there's or Swagger.io. Sorry, that's what it is. And they use Swagger UI, and there's even like demo APIs, and you can just go in there and start building your own or you know basically fork in a demo one.
0: Cool. So um another thing that kind of like confuses, I think, a lot of people is how do you so we talked a lot about AWS and services and microservices. And how do you integrate a database into that? So you briefly mentioned um having one instance of a database for everything to talk to. Mm-hmm. And so um kind of branching off of that like would you recommend that people use amazon's like database for that so would you want to use like dynamo db or something or would you orchestrate like containers where it has one instance of your database running or how would you handle like databases for uh microservices or the cloud
2: so so for the the cloud in a personal project kind of thing um i don't know that i'd go full on you know kubernetes or anything like that but um yeah I would definitely either use micro uh, uh Amazon's like the Aurora DB or the the mySQL instance and all that really is is it's just their managed version of mySQL and um yeah and then it has so it'll scale for you you can bump the the specs up as you need it and I believe there's a free tier anyway so it's it's pretty good to use um but yeah they, so you'd have your database kind of running on its own um, and then your application be running on an ec2 instance just as a regular Nginx or Apache Stack or whatever you want to use. Um, and so that it's always talking to that database. Because if you if you have it on the same host, even if you're using Docker on the same host and that EC2 instance goes away or you you know you foobar something, you lose all your data. And I mean there's ways around that by mounting you know S3 bug. There's ways to avoid that, but the simplest point is that if it's on that box, it's gone. Um, and that kind of segues to same thing with like upload user uploaded files. So same people upload their photo. You know, if you're storing that on the instance and you scale that instance up or it misses a backup, you lose that data as opposed to, you know, handling it off on S3 or handling it to a mounted storage kind of thing. So okay. that's, that's kind of, that was kind of the aha moment when we first started getting those years ago is that you realize that, oh, all these things in my full stack app, my MVC app that have dependencies for local, you know, uploads, folders and databasing. All of a sudden you realize that, oh, if I replicate this, I have to then back up all the files and upload it over here. And it, you just start to think about separating all these things out. So the dependencies are separate.
0: Okay. How um so I, I wonder if we're leaving uh, people in the dust, but EC2 is basically <laughs> like a, Sorry. a elastic container, right? Yep. Um and EC2 is one of the first services that AWS started to offer. And it's basically like a tiny Linux box, right? So it's just a little bit of server space and it's kind of blank. So you can install whatever you want on it, right?
2: Yeah, that's basically it's basically that's exactly what it is. Just a little miniature Linux server on the in the cloud.
0: Um so, <clears throat> a good use for that is, okay, well, if I containerize my app, like put it in Docker, basically, and then, you know, if it runs, you know, locally on Docker, it'll run anywhere that has Docker. So you you maybe put Docker on the EC2 instance, and then you spin up a container, and then that runs all of your code. But whenever that instance, uh, like crashes, or spins up or spins down, so it kind of starts and stops, um, it loses all of that like local storage stuff, so anything that's not in your Docker image goes away, right?
2: Well, yeah, and anything actually in your Docker, yeah, anything not in the the saying the word compiled, but basically in the in the think of it as compiled Docker image, um, yeah, everything that's not in there goes away, and anything that's in there shouldn't have been written to in the first place in a sense. So you should be able to fire up a new one. But if you're depending on the host for user files or manual changes you made or something, then yeah, all that goes away.
0: So Amazon obviously has handled that by uh, creating a lot of different services like DynamoDB and um, Aurora, you mentioned. So they're basically like persistent database solutions that are off to the side, like aside from EC2. And then you would connect to those from your EC2 instance.
2: Right, exactly. So you connect to the EC2 or from any other services. um, And the the benefit of those is that they scale out better, they handle their own traffic better. Um, So say you've got you know, a million requests come in your box. You know, you you're, you normally have to handle that, and then your MySQL instance or whatever you're using would also have to handle the processing power of that, and the memory usage of all that, where now it's offloaded and it's just, you know, for better or worse, just an API that you're hitting as opposed, you know, through the, the sockets and all, as opposed to an actual thing running and using those resources.
0: Cool. How, um, from in your opinion, like, may, you've probably done this a ton, but how difficult is it to connect from, like, your Dockerized app running on EC2 to one of those other database services within AWS, w-
2: within AWS, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, those the you know, AWS is awesome, but their documentation is not. <laughs> so, oh yeah, it's it, terrible. Um, I'll be the first one to say it. I mean, at a, <laughs> a, at a at a really really high level, you know, with tons of caveats, it's basically just point it to the host. So instead of saying you know connect to localhost on your MySQL, you're gonna say connect to whatever whatever dot you know db dot amazon. Okay. Um, so it's there's a lot of there's tons and tons of caveats on there <laughs> between you know making sure you're on the same subnet, otherwise it's really slow, and making you know there's you know all your security layers and all that stuff. But but at a really high level, it's it's basically just giving it credentials and a, and a URL, and you're on.
0: Okay, so maybe not as complicated as you might make it out to be in your mind. You're like, oh god, AWS. You know dashboards everywhere and configuration files like I got to write 10 yaml files to get this done uh it's really <laughs> as simple as like adding in a, a url basically yeah to you, connect you, to.
2: you could totally do it all through the through the web interface the web portal you, you wouldn't even have to touch code to do it um I mean I definitely don't this is terrible terrible idea outside of like just to if you've never done it just get your feet wet but you could spin up an instance and make it public and then connect to it from your local host and just see oh look that's how easy it is
0: okay so. Cool. So, um, you also mentioned uh, lambdas. So, uh, that's kind of like that whole serverless territory. Um, so they've got things like AWS Amplify, the serverless framework. Um, there's a lot of tools to kind of get you up and running with um a lot of these uh cloud provider um functionality. I don't know whatever you would want to call them services. I guess. So, uh, are there any of those that you would recommend people try out or like, should they just jump into AWS and in the dashboards and, like, start firing up Lambdas? <laughs> or, like, what what's a good entryway into that kind of stuff?
2: Um, yeah, so so the way I learned it, uh, this is not that long ago that I learned it, is um, basically I was just, hey, what is this? I want to figure this out. So um, I went into the AWS console, fired up a demo Lambda that was like a hello world, um, and just started tweaking it and testing it. I think you, you can edit it right there in the browser. You don't have to worry about it. Then. Just kind of to understand what's going on. And it's basically just a request response um and you could basically you know send it a number and have it return a hello statement i mean it, it's really really simple to get it running um when i wanted to actually use it that was where it got a little more finicky um and i ended up landing on using the the serverless.com i think the serverless framework where you basically configure it with some files you tell it it i don't is, is it actually um i have to look and see what it's on what it is like under the hood of what serverless is but it's basically just configurations you say i want You know this thing to connect to this thing, and here's how it runs. Then you can publish from your host, um, and that'll set up some of the stuff for you. But then you're basically just running Node code or uh, whatever else they've got now in there. Um,
0: Yeah, I'm sure it runs on like uh, YAML files or JSON or something like that. That it like you give it stuff to make, and then it like generates a bunch of config files, and then pushes that up to Amazon or something, and then Amazon takes that and like spins up all the stuff that you asked for.
2: Yeah, but it it also can be more than that. Like it can handle um your uh shouldn't do these at night. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um it, it you can handle like your infrastructure too, and I'm trying to totally can't think of what I'm thinking of. Um but you can handle like your security groups, you can handle um all your okay. users and permissions, and you can handle what S3 stuff to connect to. You, you can basically orchestrate all of that together. So with those files and just kind of grow the complexity as you go.
0: Cool. So uh it sounds like serverless is a, a great thing to get your feet wet with. Yeah, definitely. Uh, my only wish with that is that they named it something else <laughs> because when you say <laughs> it's serverless, you're like, okay, that's everything, right? So Amazon yeah. is serverless. What is the server? Did Amazon make this? But it's like a totally separate thing, right?
2: Yeah, and what's funny is it's it's even the even the lambda they're not really serverless. It's kind of like a just a, a marketing term because all it does is stick your code on an instance and run it. I mean, it's under right. under the hood, so.
0: But, yeah, like a, a lambda is just a tiny environment being spun up to run just your code and then it like that uh those resources get allocated immediately to something else whenever it's right. finished.
2: Yep, exactly. So it's it you know, if you hear the word serverless or lambdas, you know, and you think this there's some magic, it's really not. It's just it, it, think of it as like a, an EC2 instance being fired up instantly or close to instantly running your code and then dying and that's it. So
0: Yeah. Um and then the the benefit that Uh, to that is obviously like you can do things for a heck of a lot cheaper than having a persistent server that's just live running all the time
2: yeah i think you i think they charge per run second or something as opposed to having it there so yeah you can do a lot with it
0: so the only uh quirk that i've run into with lambda (laughs) is like being able to access npm and like external packages and stuff so um is there uh not to sound dumb but like is there a secret to that or like, how do you work with uh, external libraries and stuff with lambdas?
2: Um, I haven't, actually. So now you say that. I, I've only used it for basically loading stuff off to another image. So basically use it a proxy request. OK, um, so, yeah, I, I know there is a way, though, and, I, and I'm and yeah, i yeah, I can look it up and I do the note, but there, there is a there's a couple of tutorials on how to do it. Um, and you basically just, you know, install it and deploy the whole thing with it. If I'm correct, if I remember correctly
0: but typically like you're not even using that you're just using it for like some basic javascript stuff or, or to connect to some other thing and it's kind of like a pass through
2: yeah it, it's basically it was a pass through and there's a, another aws service that is kind of the same thing where it basically you just get the inbound request and it handles it hand, sends it off to something else like it'll it'll handle an image compress in dumb s 3 or um do a status check or something like that so
0: okay um so we've talked you, a whole lot it, about oh no go ahead i say
2: but you but you that i don't, don't think they're right you definitely can run like an entire infrastructure on lambdas i just haven't done it so i, I don't want to say like the wrong thing with it
0: okay yeah the aws is so huge that you know there's yeah. a bajillion services in there like even opening up like the aws console it, it literally fills your screen with services <laughs> that you can choose from so uh, i wouldn't expect like even the most hardcore devops people to be masters of all of them yeah. um But so we've talked a a whole lot about um, AWS serverless stuff and kind of how Node fits into that. But uh, another thing I wanted to ask you about was um, once you get away from, or maybe not away from, but once you've covered your bases with like basic Node and Express and maybe getting some stuff running on AWS, what are some of like the adjacent technologies that you may want to look into? So you mentioned um, Redis. Uh, There's things like uh, GraphQL. Um, all kinds of hot new technology out there. What kind of stuff would you expect people to maybe have looked into or maybe have uh, gotten their feet wet a little bit with?
2: Yeah, um, definitely. Testing is a big one. Um, again, not not trying to, you know, say you have to have 100 percent coverage all the time, but but be aware of testing, be, you know, why you test. And that that'll actually reflect in how you write your code. So, you know, if you're aware of it and you're doing testing, even to any extent, it. it you can immediately like know that this person, oh, they think about things a little differently, or they're working through it this way um other things is you know being able to do some kind of command line scripts in node, not just you know throw up an exp- not just throw up express on it or or something else, but you know know how to you know you can use command or use some other there's a million of them, but you know something else to like say hey this is I can send it commands and do things and it can do more than that. Um, definitely connecting and consuming other APIs and not just, you know, hitting a database and sticking a page out, but, you know, know how to hit databases, um, understanding at some, some form of understanding of auth layers, you know, like I said, you know, whether the JWT or, you know, uh, using passport, uh, you know, for open author and like that. And those are things you can kind of do on your own too. You can like, you know, you can go to Azure and set up a an app. You can go to uh, Google, the Firebase stuff. You can set up an app, and you can just, you know, connect on your own. You don't need, you don't necessarily have to run an open off server, but you, you know, you'd be able to manage as a client and say, oh, look, I was able to log in through GitHub now on my app and do something. So, just being aware of those things is it's what's more valuable than having like the best written code over here or that, So,
0: okay. Um, so you keep mentioning testing. Uh, I'm kind of curious what uh, what tooling or test runners that you like to use and maybe stuff that you use to test some of your node microservices or apps.
2: Yep. Um, so kind of the go-to, it, it's nothing creative. I just use uh, Mocha and Chai. Um, I, I use Jest yeah. a lot from back when I was doing a lot of uh, the Angular stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I like Jest, but we use Mocha and Chai at work. And that's pretty much you know the pretty big standard um and also for like end-to-end testing i was you know i started using puppeteer we were using um uh <laughs> using the other one uh selenium but uh that's a beast oh, okay. so yeah don't even yeah puppeteer is fantastic and <laughs> it's so much slicker to write code for and it runs faster so um uh, puppeteer yeah, that's, that's,
0: um for anybody that's not familiar is a headless chrome that you can control programmatically right
2: yeah yeah it's totally you can actually have the browser run too so you can actually do it as you're monitoring um but yeah you basically, you basically you can say like hey open chrome go to this page click on this you can actually run like embedded jquery in it too it'll do things and select or get responses um and it's it's really really clean so you know when you like say you want to use selenium and you want to fill out a field it's you know say it's five lines of code to that in puppeteer you can basically say like you know select and dot type and you're good to go um, but then you also can, with that, you can actually connect to like the Chrome dev tools. There's other things you can connect to it too, really, really, cause it's all built in, built by the same team.
0: So cool. That's cool. Um, so really good for end to end testing then where you can kind of like spin up the, I'm guessing the production version of the app and kind of like do some basic stuff with it. Or do you have like staging stuff that you would use for that?
2: Uh, yeah. And as end to end testing, you probably want to do it locally or like on your or local or you know, on a testing environment for that. Um, you can run them. I, I've seen people run it like against their production systems too. I, I'm a little leery on that only because, you know, if something goes wrong and don't mess with production data. Um, right. And there's services like new relic and those that are like hardened systems for, for monitoring production. So
0: but. when, um when you're testing like a microservice that's uh, connecting to like a database or something um, is your philosophy to, and this is kind of like a really specific thing, but do you spin up like an like a new instance of the database with seeded data to test against for like each test, or do you spin up like a test DB like off to the side that's just all the tests hit that same database instance?
2: So there, there's two two answers to that. Um, typically, in like the real world, you usually will spin up like a database and test and seed it with something, and then run against that. Um from a purely purist point of view, the way actually I was taught to do tests from development is you actually never even hit the database, you mock and stub everything. Yeah. So Really? Um, okay. Yeah, it it's way faster. And ba- basically uh the guy who I learned how to do testing from, he was um really hard. So the, the Jenkins instance would actually wouldn't it it would isolate the code and like if you reached out to any external resource at all during the test suite, it would fail the test. Huh. That's really
0: hardcore. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it, it's
2: probably a little extreme, but it, it was a really good. Ex- I, I, I'm glad I learned that way because now whenever I do anything, I'm always thinking about, oh, what else am I hitting? What am I forgetting to knock? What am I forgetting to mock out? You know, so.
1: Yeah,
0: that, that's kind of cool. So um, obviously, if you wanted to spin up a test database, like you could do that with you know something like Docker, bring up a or have an image or something that has like seeded data I can pull and then just like get that running and orchestrate it against your tests. But if you're gonna mock everything, like how do you how do you mock out like your entire database?
2: Uh... Well, yeah. See, so, so you would you wouldn't mock for unit testing and some of the integration tests. You wouldn't mock the whole database. You would just basically you'd mock your database object or whatever your abstract your layer is, and then you can either precede it with some users or expected responses, and then you would come back out because you, you don't want to test from a testing. From again from fairly purist, but when you're running your code, you don't want to test anything that isn't tested already. So like you don't want to rely on anything that isn't tested. So, you know, if I'm going to say I'm going to create a user and then log in and do this, well, really, I just want to test that. I create a user and the response comes back properly, you know, and it comes back properly with good data, with bad data, all those, you know, to do negative testing. And so that's separate from, oh, I want to hit the change password or log out. So each of those things is its own isolated action that you're testing. Um, if you're doing like full integration, you would then you could you know mock your database, or if you want to run a local database too, then you would just create a fake user really quick, do a couple things on it, check the state of that user, and then log out kind of thing, and then destroy the data. um But for and for true end to end testing, you would probably do it like in a in a state in a like a test environment or pre flight environment or something where you have fake data that you can tell it to go in and log in a bunch of users, you know, add five things to your cart, delete them, make sure the tax calculates correctly, that kind of thing. So,
0: Cool. Mm-hmm. We've talked a whole lot about node and testing AWS. Um, what about uh, technologies like uh, Redis and like caching and, and some of that other like adjacent stuff that you may run into with uh node? Like what is Redis and, what would you use it for and what are maybe some other services like that that you may bring in to help with some of these uh like really big scale uh situations that you run into
2: yeah um so I'm, i know i'm gonna get a redis expert who's gonna hate this answer because i i <laughs> I, I, I i am a redis user not a redis expert so like i don't, i'm sure i'm misquoting something but basically your redis is a key store like key key value store um So like what I've used it for a lot is, you know, caching requests, caching, caching responses, uh, things like that, where I, re- I wrote a proxy for this API and basically would get a request and then cache its response based on that request and timestamp and all. Um Because it's just literally here's a value store, just like setting a cookie or anything else. So it's like value, key value and pull it back out. Um So we use that, again, really just for caching, for caching
0: single things. Um, So in my basic understanding of this, is this kind of like maybe in your MVC application, this stuff would just live in memory or something, but because we don't want to rely on that because of like scaling and different instances and stuff, you have like a side cache for that, which is what kind of Redis is, like it's your uh, memory store that kind of all the instances can talk to
2: yeah, so you could use Redis or you could use, if you're using AWS, you could use like ElastiCache, uh, which is basically, I, it shares like 99% of the Redis API, so you can use it. Um, yeah, so you would do that. So say, um, I'm trying to think of an example, but, you know, say you're getting like sports scores in your app, um, and somebody requests, you know, somebody hits the page and they reach out and they've got, you know, the score and it's, you know, it ha- it's, it's at five o'clock and that's the score. Somebody comes along at, f- 501, you know, you're gonna to want to give them that same score so you don't have to go hit the NHL or NFL API to get the updated score. But if it's five oh two, maybe you expire it then a load up the next one. So every first person will get will get that like millisecond delay for the actual call. Um and then everybody you know, the other fifty thousand people who hit your front end are gonna get the cached version for the next two minutes.
0: Okay, so this is kind of like a way to not tax your database too heavily, right?
2: Yeah, it's not texting your database, but also not, you know, getting throttled by Google's APIs or uh okay. you know, whatever. So so there's ways so you know, you know, Google Google Places app has I guess has like a hundred thousand requests cap per month or something like that for the free version. So if you cache it, which may or may not be against their rules, but um <laughs> <laughs> if you if you're going cache and somebody else comes along later and wants it, you know, there's no reason to like you know, there's no reason to requery a fixed address, you know, you know, more than once a day or something. So
0: So you might think of this as maybe a really dumb example. Let's say I'm using like a movie database or something like that has an API I could use for my front end application. Well, if the user goes and searches for last action hero and they get that data back and then another user comes in and searches for last action hero, you're expecting the same data. So it's kind of safe to cache that. And then maybe you would want to like throw that data away every hour or two hours or Like fifteen minutes or something arbitrary like that, just to make sure that you know the API hasn't changed.
2: Right, exactly, and 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 there are actually some APIs that like tell you uh, it might be one of the movie ones. Like they say, like you can only cache our data for twenty four hours because you're using their name, so you want to make sure you have up to date data, that kind of thing. So, um, gotcha, but
1: cool. Why was Last Action Hero this movie you chose?
0: So I built a. uh, It's funny that you asked (laughs) that. I built a. uh, A React application uh, on CodePen, and it it hits a movie database um, API, and so I put in a query like just as a default for it to like display a movie poster, basically. And the movie that I picked was Last Action Hero, so it's kind of like always (laughs) at the top of my mind. Whenever I'm building a movie app, it's always like dumb 80s movies or 90s like action movies, like. Predator, true lies there are a lot of arnold movies but yeah i was gonna say i just uh i'm i don't know maybe it's maybe the thing we can talk about for nerd minute but whatever happened to like fun uh kind of carefree action heroes that are just like all about chewing bubble gum and like kicking doors in and stuff and (laughs) now it's like jason bourne fighting the government like breaking people's necks and like getting thrown through like windows and stuff and everything's like Really gritty. Over the top. Yeah. Yeah. Where's Conan, you know, yeah. with the sword? And yeah, it. exactly. Like, <laughs> I'm going to go kill this, like, sea wench or whatever, like, witch or something, <laughs> something. And it's all about, like, him looking cool doing it and kind of, like, you know, carefree attitude. um <laughs> I don't know. Sidebar. Anyway. <laughs> no, yeah,
1: that's a good question, though. I'm trying um, to think like
0: the last thing I saw. Uh, so, real quick, we, we mentioned AWS like a ton. Um, but if you didn't want to get into that, like, would you maybe recommend people check out like DigitalOcean or Azure or any other services? Or do you think, uh, AWS is kind of where people should hang out and maybe get their feet wet?
2: Yeah. Um, yes and no. Um, AWS is kind of, yeah, you have to know it, especially if you're like in the context of looking for a job. I mean, you just, you have to understand AWS Again, you have to be an expert, but, and I use AWS at work. I've used it for other work and I use it for some of my clients, but for my stuff i don't use aws <laughs> <laughs> um it's just it's just it's great but it's so much extra that you don't necessarily need you know so i i, mean, I use firebase i use uh Ocean, um just depending on what it is it, i i really like digital Ocean with the droplets uh, one because you can just point and click and turn them on it's really inexpensive but you can also like just immediately get into your box, play around with it. You don't have to worry about like creating AMIs and creating security groups. You just like, here's my box. I'm in, there's my keys and you're done. You know, it's, um, I I jokingly said to somebody else, you know, AWS is like Ikea. It's awesome, (laughs) but you have to do it all. And then we're like, you know, Firebase or DigitalOcean, It's like, you know, Amazon's uh, frustration-free packaging where you just click the button and there's your stuff that's already done for you. <laughs> gotcha.
0: <laughs> what about, uh, how, do you have any feelings one way or the other about stuff like Heroku?
2: Yeah, um, I I like them. Uh, there, I have nothing negative to say about like Heroku or those, but I think they're kind of expensive. Um, but again, if you're running a multi-million dollar company, then, you know, a hundred bucks, a couple hundred bucks a month for hosting is not a big deal. But, you know, if you're just testing and wanting out, you know, they they get expensive pretty quick
0: yeah definitely yeah. i think it's like seven bucks a month for the cheapest uh always up um version of your app or something like that yeah
2: so and if you want to deploy like five test apps then you know you're through the roof already As i opposed know. to like something else where you just deploy one five dollar a month you know image and yeah so like there, so. uh
0: DigitalOcean is cool because you can get like a virtual machine for five bucks a month but if you want to put like one app per virtual machine, it can kind of get pricey quickly.
2: Yeah, but you, but you you have full root access to it. So you could put and, you know, send something else to learn and put on your resume, you know, go put Nginx on it um, and do a proxy and then, you know, load up Docker on it or load up a bunch of different, you know, PM2, you know, PM2 for Node is great. Uh, it's the, the the process manager. Um, so you could have like 10 Node apps and then have Nginx proxy to all the different ports and you're good to
0: go. Yeah, that, that's a that's a good idea. Um, we kind of talked about that a little bit before the show with people doing that with uh, uh, PHP apps, where they have like one server running on DO, and then they just load a bunch of websites on there and do a little bit of like routing magic in the front end. Yeah. Cool. So, um, Phil, uh, where can uh, where can folks? Find you online or check you out on Twitter or do you have like a website? Where can people? Yeah, find yeah.
2: You? I, I am. I'm super creative. Everything of mine. Yeah, because because I'm old and you know I started when the, I, I started when, when domains were free, but uh, everything <laughs> everything I have is just Phil Palmieri. My name. Um, put links there. But yeah, so Twitter is Phil Palmieri, GitHub Phil Palmieri, um, Instagram which is just coffee pictures, um, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> LinkedIn all of those. And, and my website is just Phil So it's just you know, real 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 creative
0: cool cool so uh as i mentioned earlier at the uh, end of the show we always do a little thing called nerd minute uh where we just talk about whatever we're into uh action movies arnold schwarzenegger films um <laughs> video games early arnold schwarzenegger conan the barbarian all, all that kind of stuff so uh phil you're the guest uh what have you been into lately
2: um i've been trying to force myself to play more games um a playstation guy I'm not a, uh, but oh, i cool. actually just played uh, detroit become human it was free 2 months ago yeah. How it was like that? phenomenal. It was probably the best one of the best games I've ever played. It was so wow. so good. And apparently every time you play it, it's different because there's like so many decision trees. So like the nerd part of yeah. me was like kind of geeked out about it. Um, But the the did ending pl- when I got to the end, it was like, oh my god. I actually was like play. I played it for like three days straight till I just beat it. That was like the first game I'd done that in a long time.
1: Did you play uh, Heavy Rain or um, what's the other game he did? Uh, That dude, uh, the director I forgot his name.
0: I've played Heavy Rain but I don't I don't know of any There's other stuff. The one with Ellen Page. No, I don't think I have I'm oh, going to go look that up now. Okay. Uh gosh, what was that called? Was it The Soul Suspect one or was it uh... Yeah,
1: It's where she has a friend that's a ghost and then like you go through her childhood until she she enters the army and Is it like two souls it's... or something? I yeah, yeah, oh, something I that. like yeah, that. I never played
2: yeah. I got to look that up. I didn't.
1: Yeah, I I didn't like that one. I think <laughs> Heavy Rain's better. oh heavy heavy rain has it's like a uh you play as i think three people um there's a man that lost his kid um a detective and a reporter and they're trying they're everyone's involved in this like serial killer that took his kid and they're trying to solve the mystery there um that I played a little bit of that. I like that better than uh, I got bored with the other game. Oh, well. I think it's Two Souls or something Souls. I yeah, think it's
2: I yeah, but it's definitely not for everybody. like Detroit, It's definitely not for everybody. But like, if you're into stories, like you know, I love like first person shooters. I love button mashing. But this is like you just kind of within a few minutes you forget you're playing a game and you're just like totally engrossed in a choose your own adventure movie. And it's like yeah. the acting is great. I mean, some of it's not, but most of it's really good. And the renderings are really cool. It's just the story was great. So.
0: Have you played a uh, Deus Ex? Um, I forget the recent two, but uh, Human Revolution, I think, and Mankind Divided.
2: I th- yeah, I think played Mankind Divided. That was like five or six years ago, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm about two decades behind. Yeah, on the yeah. Blog, so. <laughs> I, that, I don't. I remember playing it, but I don't. I don't even know what platform that was on. I'm wondering if uh if Detroit is a little bit similar to that kind of like cyberpunk kind of story. Oh, speaking
2: of cyberpunk, you pre-order that one.
0: I have oh, not. Oh, that looks oh, really good that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I know. Um, uh, have you
1: played uh, um until dawn?
2: Yes. Yeah. I okay. Haven't. Didn't they just come out with a new right. one though?
1: Uh yeah, that yeah. same company did. Yeah. They're doing like a like an anthology series now. They're all like, I think they're thirty dollars a game now. They're they're shorter, huh? But they're doing different stories, and uh, this first one is like um, a horror, like ghost ship kind of thing. Oh, nice. Um and it, I I I saw someone play like a couple of hours of it. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, I I'm, oh. ac- I'm
2: actually kind of excited cuz uh Sony just did their one of their announcements and they're you know they they were kind of hinting at that they're, they're going to start releasing less games under their studio but more into them and they're trying to do a lot more uh, single player story based games which you know, I, I think it's a huge market for it. It's, it's I'm glad to see those because everybody likes to shoot with you know battlefield or whatever too. But it's nice to kind of like yeah.
0: sit back and just kind of enjoy a story at the same time. Yeah, like yeah. uh Death Stranding. Are you excited for that? One? <laughs>
1: you want to pee and make uh, <laughs> mushrooms and eat them <laughs> with a baby on your back? That, uh, oh man, I'm assuming is like your life or whatever. If you die, you become the baby.
0: Yeah, I watched uh this video <laughs> a ladder about her
1: in your pocket or whatever. <laughs> I don't know.
0: Hideo Kojima is just getting weirder and weirder as he gets yeah, older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh I saw this video on like the hidden meeting of PT. Uh I don't know if you're oh, right into really? that. That's a really good game. But uh yeah, it was like playable teaser. It was supposed to be an intro for the new Silent Hill uh video game <laughs> for yeah. PS4. And uh basically Konami fired the guy that was making it. And so he uh he was the guy that did Metal Gear Solid and all these like big single player story driven like Magnum Opus kind of games. And uh basically Konami wanted to go like all mobile and huh. just do like microtransaction yeah, and loaded uh oh, yeah like like Nintendo? Yeah,
2: basically.
1: Because yeah. that's like
0: the so they like that a a health
1: clubs in <laughs> Japan. Yeah.
0: yeah, so that stuff is like super huge in Japan because everybody's like on a train on a cell phone, you know, yeah. doing like little games and maybe not at home like us playing on a a big screen television so uh they were trying to move that way but anyway um yeah Death Stranding I think is like all about him exploring the feeling of like getting fired from this company he's been working (laughs) at and it's just like he's really going over the top with the metaphors like the baby on the guy's chest and all this other weirdness so yeah (laughs) it's uh he's he's always had some weird games like uh, the Metal Gear series has always been kind of on the verge of breaking the fourth wall with all the crazy stuff that he's doing, but, uh, yeah, this one is way over the top. <laughs> cool. So, uh, Eddie, what are you into lately? Um,
1: I started watching, um, Afro Samurai. Okay. So, Th- uh, I put that on Twitter too. Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's pretty good. I only watched like two episodes so far. Phil, are you um, a, are you a fan? or you ever heard of that?
2: I've never heard of that one, but I was just putting it into Google right now.
0: So if <laughs> you're really uh, if you're old. In, if you're into anime, it's a uh, an anime about uh, I think it's Western made, but it it has yeah. um, Sam Jackson as a, a voice actor. Yeah. Um, oh, really? And it's it's about a black samurai. Yeah. And um, kind of his. Do adventures. not watch
1: it with your kids. Oh yeah, yeah no, no,
2: I don't watch TV with my kids. Yeah. It's kind
0: <laughs> of like a a kung fu film send up of like anime. It seems like where it's all about, like, uh, just the, the being wandering the best, samurai, yeah, being yeah, the best, being the uh, best
1: swordsman in the world, kind of thing,
0: kind of playing um, with a lot of cliches in that genre, huh? yeah.
1: Starts with his father being murdered because his father was the number one, like, samurai, and he gets killed and while well, he's a kid and he witnesses the whole thing. And then, um, the next, at, in the, I guess, in that same episode, you see him as an adult, he's the number two. Um, swordsman and he's looking for uh number one so he can get his revenge
0: that yeah i think that's cool, actually that's the whole premise of the show is yeah he's trying to and get everyone
1: revenge. is after him because they want to be number two to get to number one
0: yeah uh, so uh i don't know if you're into anime or not but yeah, that's uh
2: yeah but i wouldn't say like call myself like i, I would never say i'm like into anime because you'll get called out and stuff but you know i like it <laughs> i, I yeah. actually just started watching uh i don't know if you on um i, I know i'm not to it wrong it's uh Agritsuko on Netflix. Okay. Yeah. The death death metal little thing that I'm not sure what she is. It what was kind it? of
0: like the uh, Skype just crapped out.
2: Oh a- Agritsuko.
0: I think Eddie's messing uh, with you, he just wants you to pronounce it. Again. Yeah. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't <laughs> even know I don't know what that is. Oh, it's it's,
2: uh, it's like a super like socially aware um show. Like it's Japanese. I think it's Japanese or it is um, yeah. And but she like so like there's this the the main character is like a I'm I'm guessing she's like a young twenty something ish, you know, portrayal of mm-hmm. like just dealing with like terrible like misogyny in the workplace and family oh. issues, and but like every time she gets frustrated, she goes into like full on death metal, like just oh, really? it's awesome, yeah. <laughs> that
1: sounds cool. Yeah
0: her uh, her way to deal with stress after work is to go to a karaoke yeah uh, parlor in Japan and. Um, run out the room for just herself and get in there and just like scream <laughs> yeah. death metal songs. So the, uh, the anime is kind of like her in her own head, like getting mad about her boss or her coworkers or yeah. whatever, and just That's like awesome. jamming out to death metal. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of like, um, if hello kitty was an office worker and also had like, Oh, it's that anger management issues with yeah. the, it's a, like a little fox or dog or yeah. something. Right? Yeah. Something, okay, yeah. Sure okay cool. All right. I watched the uh, the first episode of it and I was like, okay, this is pretty funny, but I haven't yeah,
2: uh, gone I, beyond I, that I first bin- episode. I, I binged it well, the other couple like a couple weeks ago I binged it over the
0: weekends. But. Cool. So uh was it worth it? Did it uh did it hold up? Yeah, I mean there
2: was a couple episodes like I, I think there was like, like the middle of the second season it kind of was like, all right, like move on, move on, but then it got back <laughs> to
0: it again. So Cool. Uh as for me, I've I've watched um the show called Kabaneri of the iron Fort- Fortress or something like that. It's just a typical like shown in anime action kind of thing. Uh, it's basically steampunk Japan, like in the feudal era, um, where zombies take over, but the zombies have like, this is, it sounds terrible when you explain it, but they have like an iron <laughs> casing around their heart or something. So, okay. uh, everybody's using like steampunk rifles and that sort of thing. And there's a lot of trains in the anime. Um, basically, the living have been like segregated off to these uh, train stations that have ballooned out into like town size stations, and there's just like train tracks connecting all of them around Japan, and all about like them fighting the hordes of the undead. Um, so really weird show, that <laughs> super weird premise, cool. but yeah, uh, a yeah, lot lot of good action in it. So have you kind seen
1: of like Immortal? Good engines? B flick.
0: I just watched it two days ago
1: oh okay i have not is that uh any no because there's a, a a guy in in like yeah. a zombie type dude that sounds exactly like what you're explaining and they're maybe they ripped it from uh, gigantic, uh, the anime like city size like tanks basically that there there's like a post-apocalyptic thing and they're driving like over through the earth like consuming other smaller cities and taking all their resources and um, yeah, yeah, this is a whole thing. But yeah. uh, I know yeah, it was the uh, one dude. Sounds like what you're explaining.
0: Yeah, it was I a book was series, a but also a movie, right? Uh, yeah, I think it was. It, it was a
2: yeah, I think it was a book for. I mean the movie just came out a couple like a year or so ago. Yeah, but I I had like low expectations, so I wasn't disappointed. But it also was yeah, you know, probably not yeah. gonna watch it again anytime soon. It, was, it wasn't great. <laughs> yeah, but but it was totally entertaining and worth watching if you're. Into yeah, that. I mean it's the, it was actually the mechanics were. I don't want to say believable but you know fairly grounded it was pretty cool to yeah, see like yeah. the, the thought into how all that stuff works
1: like the size of these towns that are on wheels yeah. is, is, is pretty cool yeah but so kind
0: of the spectacle of it is yeah worth it. yeah yeah
2: yeah
1: I think so the story is cool. kind of crap but yeah Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well you know Yeah. <laughs> cool so uh that, that's all I've got uh I don't know if you guys have anything else um yeah. No, I'm still playing uh, Yoshi's
1: Woolly World. <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, I started. Uh, I
0: started Borderlands from 2006. so That's how uh, far yeah, back I am. Yeah, if you want, I
1: think I have that on PC. It might run on this uh, laptop.
0: Cool. Yeah, maybe we can we can jump into it. Phil, you're welcome to join. Obviously. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, we'll-
1: three just came
0: out too. Wow. Cool. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'll in 20 years, I'll pick that. Up. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, Phil, thank you uh, so much for coming on the show. We, we really appreciate it. All right.
2: Thanks. I enjoyed being here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you guys All later. right. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Bye. Yeah.
0: Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Tech Junior. Head on over to our site at techjr.dev for show notes and past episodes. While you're there, click subscribe to get an email from us once a week with the latest episode and some other goodies. Follow us on Twitter at TechJRPodcast. Follow me at Jr. and Eddie at ED0TER0. Join us next week. We're going to be talking to Irma Mesa, who is a product manager, uh, similar to Marissa Morby. Um, So we're going to talk to her about working remote, what PMs do, and how she integrates with the team. Um, But this time you're going to get a different perspective on it. Uh, which is always interesting, so uh, definitely check that out. Also, DevFest is coming on November 16th. Tickets are still available. Uh, Come see a bunch of smart people talk about a bunch of smart stuff. Uh, Except for me, I'm a dumb person, and I'm going to be talking about PWAs, but uh, hopefully you can relate and maybe make a couple PWAs of your own. Uh, So yeah, hope to see you there. Alright, that's all for me this week. See you next week and take care.